for most of our uh, Bible reading, uh, so you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some, uh, some extra Bibles that we have available for you um, and a study guide that we have avail- available for you that we'd love to get to you. Normally, I would see people walking down with them. I don't see anybody right now, but um, there are some that are back there. It's under, they're underneath where the coffee um, is. So you can uh, grab a Bible from there if you don't have one, or you feel free to use your Bible app um, and uh, follow along with us as we study there together. As you're getting out your Bible, let me tell you a story um, about my son. You um, may know my son. Uh, he's a second grader. His name's Elijah. And one of the interesting things about being a father is you realize when you watch your kids grow up, they learn some stuff about the world, like Elijah is learning that there was a time in the world when the internet didn't exist. That's that's a new thing for him. I, I I grew up when the internet didn't exist, so that wasn't new for me. But it's funny watching him respond to that. Where um, it, this is the most recent time that that happened. We were riding in the van, and he's getting frustrated. He wants to have this listen to the song, and uh, he's like, "Why is there not internet here?" And um, I said, well, there's no Wi-Fi that's at our house. And I'm explaining that to him. And he says, I just, uh, there should be Wi-Fi everywhere. And he's getting really frustrated. Second grader, uh, getting really frustrated at that. Um, please just, please don't tell him they sell cars with Wi-Fi. Um, because I, he'll just beg for that constantly. Listen, you know, what's interesting to watch kids as they grow up in like wireless internet um, high-speed internet is something that feels like a basic necessity now. And like we feel like, oh, we have to have it. I was reminded of that a few months ago in our guest network here. Uh, we, it went down. We exceeded the capacity, and so we were changing out some equipment. And um, I couldn't tell you how many times people came up to me and they said, hey, do you know that the guest internet doesn't work? Um, and like as if they could hardly even make it through church. Without the internet, uh, you know, if you search the if you search online for the the funny uh, memes about slow Wi-Fi, that there's so many of them. They're hilarious um, because what what we live in now in a world is um, how we'll complain when there's not Wi-Fi or that there's slow internet and as if it's torturous and we can hardly make it through life. And we joke about suffering like that because I want in a message where we're talking about trauma, I want to draw a difference. Uh, and draw some difference between slowing, uh, slow Wi-Fi being a su- uh, issue that we suffer through and really what trauma is because they're not the same. We, we have some things where we talk about, oh, I suffer, I suffer. And then it's easy sometimes to mix that together with what trauma is. And those are very, very different things. Um, there, life is full of regular challenges, uh, slow Wi-Fi and other things, uh, regular challenges and difficulties. And if this were Uh, If we were going to talk about those things, we would talk about this sermon today very differently because regular challenges in life are a different topic than what trauma is. Let me explain it to you this way. Perhaps you are familiar with medical emergency rooms. I have a friend who works in the emergency department of of a hospital, and and you would think it would be common sense that people would go to the emergency room for an emergency. Um, but sometimes they go to the emergency room with symptoms of a common cold, and then they don't understand why they're not treated with this great level of urgency. And even within the emergency room, I, I, I've learned that there are trauma centers 
inside the emergency room, which are different even than the emergency department. And so, um, and so in, the, in the whole medical field, what you think sometimes is common sense, somebody comes in um, and it's not the same. Trauma is different. A, a broken arm in the emergency room is important, but it's not the same as life and death trauma. And so um, those are treated differently there. And I just want to say in this message that what we're talking about today is not just sufferings. It's not just difficulties or trials of life. We would look at different scriptures. We would talk about it differently. We're going to talk about trauma today, and that's a different category. Because trauma is one of those things that steals from a person something that, um, that you lose all this sense of reality of what's going on. Trauma is like a thief. Trauma takes away from people their sense of security, um, their sense of identity, predictability, and in particular, their safety. Trauma shatters your identity in such a way that it's disorienting. It overwhelms you emotionally. And it overwhelms your, your logical thinking to the degree that actually the body in some ways will shut down in response to trauma and stop actually processing information. Trauma doesn't always fit with what happens in reality and it's difficult to explain and it goes against our our belief or our understanding and then the memories that flood because of a traumatic event as much as you want to push them out and say I don't want to talk about it you still feel it everywhere it clouds all that you are trauma has the power within us to disrupt everything about the way that we process information it impacts our brains um, and the way that they function and there's so much to learn about how trauma impacts us Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff to read for the sake of our discussion today I want to just say three things about trauma that I think are important to know the first is that trauma leads to silence and here's what I mean trauma leads to silence because people who are experiencing trauma feel like they do they don't have any words to describe what they're feeling and so because there aren't any words it leads to silence the second thing is that trauma leads to isolation because it feels like nobody understands it feels like no one understands if you can't even explain it then it's hard for people to understand and so it leads to isolation And the third thing is that trauma leads to feelings of hopelessness. And I think that's in particular one that is important for our talk today, is that when trauma leads to a feeling of hopelessness, it feels like there is no hope for my tomorrow, even for my right now. That that there's no hope in living life. And that's overwhelming. Listen, here's the truth. Preaching about trauma is like all kinds of hard. It's tough to say I'm going to preach about trauma because it's loaded with personal emotion. It's loaded with memories, and it's so deeply personal to each individual. Often when you hear a sermon about trauma, it falls into one of two ruts. Then we would say just ruts along the side of a road. Sometimes you hear a sermon about trauma, and the, the thing that you tend to hear preachers do, and it's not that they have poor intentions it just it happens when preachers preach on trauma is that they communicate that that God is like a superhero who's ready to pull you out of your pain in any instant and what that fosters is this magical thinking that that God could could just uh, pull you right out of that pain instantly and then then the, the translation of that is that there's some kind of theology pill that I could just take 
if I could just have more faith, if I could just pray better, or maybe I'm doing something wrong. And so it feels like this magical thinking or uh, theology pill um, that, that sometimes you hear when you hear a message on trauma. On the other side, on the other rut, is that sometimes preachers will, will preach and they'll talk about and they'll say um, trauma is something that's always going to be with you. The real way to get through trauma is to talk about it. And then in the midst of talking about trauma, they never talk about hope. They never, they actually want to talk about it so much that they never talk enough about the hope and healing that can be found in Jesus. And they withhold that hope and healing in their talk. And so it's two ruts along the side of a road that I, I hope and pray today we don't fall into in any way because what I believe about our sermon today is that God is active in our broken world and because he's active in our broken world, he's active today. And, um, and today um, what's going to happen is not that we're going to fix an issue because no matter how awesome this sermon is today, it's not going to fix an issue. Um, it's not going to fix your pain. I, I gave up hope of giving you any words that might help you walk out of here pain-free. I, I, I can't do that today. I can't wrap a bow on it and make it this amazing thing. I wish I could. I wish I could help you in that moment. I wish that I could take it away. I wish I could speak to that. But one father in the midst of trauma said this after losing his son and, and processing that. is an untimely death for his son. He said, um, he said that not even the best words could take away the pain. Not even the best words could take away the pain. But what words do is that they testify that there's more to it than pain. And that's what I hope for us today. That just the words we say and we share today would testify to you that there's more to it than just pain. This sermon is not going to remove the pain and the sorrow from your life, but I hope that it points to the truth that there is more than just pain and sorrow. And so it's my goal to point you to a loving God who's living and who's active and a community of Christians who are committed to walking together with you. With that said, let's invite God's presence uh, through prayer. God, we need your presence. Uh, we need your spirit. And so we pray that, um, yes, every day we need your spirit, but we pray today for your Holy Spirit's presence to give us insight into your word and to bring us comfort in this difficult topic. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I was in high school, I think, when the first time I was ever asked this question of why do bad things happen? Why, why do bad things happen to people? And I remember that it wasn't the first time I had processed that. I had certainly thought about it before. But this was the first time in my life where I felt like, okay, it's time for me to step up and defend why bad things happen. I had that. Have you ever had somebody ask you why bad things happen as a Christian and you feel like I need to defend that answer and you feel like, all right, let's go. If you felt that before, then maybe like me, what you realized is I was probably a little too willing to defend God. And what I realized about myself is in my, um, my eagerness to defend God that I had probably rushed past actually listening to the question the person had. Here's the thing. God doesn't need us to defend him. God doesn't need me to defend him on difficult things. God is fully capable of handling those, those questions. What I didn't do in my rush of defense in high school and even today I struggle to do is when someone asked a hard question like that, those why questions, we rush past listening. And those questions of why are full of emotion. And they're full of a story. And they're full of life. And when we try and defend God... 
in the midst of that, and we do so quickly, we're basically rushing past hearing what they're really trying to communicate, which is that emotion and that story. We often would then guarantee that they're going to misunderstand us and probably increase the anger that started the question in, in the beginning. A lot of times we communicate in those moments that if you just have more faith, if you just pray a little bit harder, maybe it's because you're a sinner, if you just have stronger trust, we don't always have all of those answers and we, we run the risk of miscommunicating when we rush to defend. Trauma is difficult because there aren't always easy answers. There is no easy answer for why. Trauma for me is a very personal story in the life of my family. I told you earlier about my son Elijah. I have three children. Um, I have three children, and the first time that I stepped into this room to preach at First Christian Church in 2008, um, we had no children, but I mentioned that, we, that uh, my wife was pregnant with our daughter Hannah at that time, and I said, this is our fourth pregnancy. Uh, we had had three miscarriages up to that point in time, and that was a, a difficult moment for me in that sermon. And I would stand here today and tell you that, that that same trauma has marked our family in that we have three children, but we've had six miscarriages. Um, and so we have experienced an incredible amount of loss um, a, as a family. And, I, and I'd tell you, like, I wish I could tell you I've been a faith champion through all of that. I have not been. There are times where I felt numb. There are times where I felt angry. There are times where I don't know what to think. Leslie and I talked about this recently, and we talked about how we don't even know why it happened because we don't have a pretty testimony at the end of it that would say, well, here's, of course, why we went through that difficult time. There may never be a complete answer to why we experienced such loss. I, t I told in that sermon about a time where I was at the doctor's office and they had just told us that there was no more heartbeat. And I was angry and I was shouting and I was yelling and I was praying. And I knew that God could bring our baby back to life, but he didn't. And to this day, I don't really know why. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 is helpful for me. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This points to a passage that we talked about two weeks ago in Numbers chapter 12, where it was about Moses and how Moses spoke face to face with God, but uh, even with other prophets, he spoke in riddles. And so Paul is using this. And what's interesting is that Paul, being the like amazing faith champion that he is, if Paul compares to how he sees now like a mirror or like a riddle, then the way that I might feel in that, that sometimes I don't understand fully, but when I see God face to face, I will know some things that I don't know now. But what I recognize is that here on earth, I may not have the answers. And you may not either for your story, but I want you to know that today you might not have the answers, but there is hope. There is hope that can be found in trauma. There is hope that can be found in those moments. And what I want you to hear today um, is words from, from Scripture where we can point to that hope. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Um, we'll just read it straight through, then I'll explain a little bit um, after we read this passage. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and then tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now there are probably a handful of amazing sermons within that text. And I wish that I could speak to the goodness that is found in all of that scripture, and I can't. I can't talk about all of that. We're going to talk about some of it today. But here's the cool thing, even as I read that and you, and you hear that, God is alive and active and has the ability to work in your heart. And so I'm so glad that when we read scripture that God is able to use that in your life today. And I know that that passage for many of you is one that you need to hear. And so I'm glad to share it with you. But here's what we're going to talk about. And here's where we're going to zoom in. Jesus is talking and teaching here and wants us to know. Wants, wants uh, his audience at the time and wants us to know that God is alive and active in the midst of his creation. That God is alive and active right now. That God is not an inactive God, but an active God. And that the Father cares for his creation in such a way that you can look and see, even caring for the birds and caring for the flowers of the field, that God is active in his care for creation. And that the Father is good and that God is able. Here's what we want to hear and see in this passage today is that God knows our needs and he is good and he is able to help as you're preparing for a message and you're going to preach a lot of times God makes you sensitive to see stuff in other people's lives so I was looking and noticing in my own life and in the lives of others the amount of anxiety that I carry and the amount of anxiety that often other people carry and anxiety is not something that's specific to trauma as all over the place you experience that whether it's the result of trauma or not um, it is often associated with trauma, but listen, I had some anxiety about what I was going to eat for lunch, okay? And that's not about trauma. So um, sometimes we have some anxiety and we, we tend to allow that to dominate us and to worry. And one of the things that we need to hear in this is that what God is calling us to do is to not worry about yesterday or not worry about tomorrow because if we think about this right now, what God wants us to hear is that I'm present in this moment right now and that we, we need to recognize what it means to be present because it's so easy to be overloaded. It's so easy for us to feel overloaded and it's so hard for us sometimes to be present in the moment. This is the cool thing about the way God designed our bodies. Even in the midst of a response to trauma, God's designed our bodies in such a way that if we can't process what happened or we can't process what we're going to do tomorrow, our body will actually shut down and our brain will shut down and stop processing the information. And listen, people, that's God's grace. 
That's God's grace because we can't handle that. That's the way God designed us in a gracious way so that we can work with right now. You may feel like you can't deal with tomorrow, but God's calling you to right now to be present. It's interesting how that works, and I found this in a passage I had not spent much time studying before in Luke 13, where Jesus talks about that really in speaking to trauma itself. There's a, a group of people that were talking, and Jesus is there with them in Luke 13, and they say, hey, what about those people who were killed when they were offering their sacrifice in the temple? It was interesting because uh, the way that they described it, they said the blood of the people who were murdered um, in the, in, in, were actually it was mixed with the animal sacrifice blood, and that was, that was a big deal. Um, and so people thought, that's a strange, traumatic, weird event. Who, like, what was their sin like, Jesus? Because certainly they'd have done something wrong. Jesus responds and says, <clears throat> he says, hey, do you think that those Galileans were more sinful than everybody else? No, they weren't. Listen, and if you don't repent you're going to have a fate that's similar to theirs. And Jesus goes on one step further, not just an act of trauma that was inflicted upon somebody else. He speaks to like this natural catastrophe kind of trauma. There's this tower that had fallen down and it had killed 18 people and it was newsworthy. And so Jesus says, hey, what about that tower? Do you think those 18 people were worse sinners than all the rest of the people in Jerusalem? He says, I tell you, no, that's not the thing. And if you don't repent right now, you're going to have a similar fate. You'll perish that way. He wasn't saying there's a tower going to fall on you. He's saying that what you think you may expect, you may think that because you live an okay moral life, that you are going to deserve a a happy and healthy life. And Jesus says, you need to repent because here's what they were trying to do. They were trying to get Jesus to talk about the dirty sins of these people so that they could feel better about themselves. Because they were interpreting it in such a way that their moral superiority meant that their life was better. Their moral superiority meant that that they were spared from catastrophe. And it feels so very neat and so very satisfying that, that Jesus might do that, but he refused to play that game. He refused to play that game and instead focused on what's happening right now with the people right in front of me. The people right now, right in front of me, need to hear this message of repentance. He says, repent. He's not denying that sometimes tragedy happens because of sin. He wasn't denying that. But what he was saying is that tragedy doesn't only happen because of all the sin of its victims. In fact, in John chapter 9, he heals a blind man and the people are saying, was the man blind because of his sin or maybe it was his parents' sin? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not it. Jesus is flatly refusing that all tragedy is the result of the sin of its victims. And sometimes we feel that in trauma. Well, the pain that we experience is because of our sin or because of the sin of our parents or the generation before us. And in our attempt to explain tragedy, sometimes we've created false teaching. And that's not what we want to do. There are so many stories of guilt that people have hurled upon themselves because they've, maybe they've lost a child and they feel guilty. My wife went through some of that. Tragedies come to everybody. They happen to all. Unthinkable things sometimes happen to some of the uh, most godly and committed people. What we want to talk about today is how in the midst of difficult things like that do we find hope? What is it like to interact with a God in those moments? Hope in Christ begins by recognizing that suffering does happen and it's a reality. In fact, it was trauma 
that brings us healing at all. It was trauma in Isaiah chapter 53. It says it's only by the bruises and wounds of Jesus that we are healed. We may not have a complete answer to why, but what we can do is we can, have, we can find that there is a God who loves us, who has entered the world to be with us in our suffering, and that God will be with us in the dark places that we go. And we need to remember that and not pretend that there's some magic pill that if I just pray harder or that if I have a better faith, but to know that what God has given us is the reality that he is, he is alive and he is active and he is present and he sees our needs and he knows what our pain is. Listen, the cross is that story. Sin destroyed something that was so precious to God, and that's a relationship with us, that he was willing to come down and to bear the full weight of sin, to not, to not spare it in any way. The cross is traumatic. The cross is suffering. The cross for Jesus was, the, was a full experience of trauma in a very physical sense, and yet it was an emotional sense. It was betrayal. It was isolation. It was feelings of abandonment. It was a loss of hope. It was emotionally tormenting. It was physically unbearable. God does not dwell. God does not dwell above our pain looking down. God dwells in our pain with us. God dwells right within the most intense pain that we can experience in the midst of that trauma because he experienced it. God did not set creation free to look down with this carefree apathy. Isn't it wonderful that your life and your pain is not unnoticed by God? You don't skirt, free, skirt through life unnoticed by God. You don't sneak around the edges. Nobody gets into heaven through a side door. God knows everything about your life. All of the pain, all of the sorrow. And in the midst of all of that pain and hurt, God hurts with you. God hurts with you. And He hurts so much that He was willing to take it on Himself. Trauma may baffle us for the rest of our lives on earth. And, and, and there were questions that were submitted to us that were questions about uh, a depression, that were questions about suicide, there were questions about um, things that are heavy, heavy, heavy things. And I would just say that the, for those of you, there were like three or four of you who asked questions about suicide, that, that salvation doesn't rest upon um, abstaining from sin. Salvation rests upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And I would just say that salvation for everyone rests upon Jesus on the cross. So how can we, in the midst of that hopelessness, feel hope? Because listen, I told you I, I can't leave you with like a happy bow today um, where you feel pain free as you leave. But maybe what, I, what we can do today is we can take us one step. Maybe we can take one step forward. Because I want you to work through those difficult questions and know that our church here is a safe place for that. We told you about a program that is dear to our hearts now, Regeneration Recovery. And this is a recovery program because we know trauma happens. And we know that more people in this room are impacted by it than those who are not. And we know that it's real and we know that we feel that way. And regeneration recovery is not a fast process. In fact, the curriculum will take um, as much as a year or even longer sometimes to walk through that because it's heavy stuff. We're going to be a community and a church who's willing to walk alongside of you through that for the long haul. 
over and over and over again. And I won't give you a sermon that makes you think that in 20 minutes that I was going to be able to turn it around of something you've been struggling your whole life and suddenly you feel like everything's cool. But this is a hard process. But we're committed for the long haul. If you have hard questions, we're with you. Could you take one step forward today towards Jesus? Even when it feels overwhelming and you feel like you can't, tomorrow may be too overwhelming to even think about, but today could you take one step forward and just start a conversation? In just a minute when we sing, there are going to be some people who are standing right up here and they're going to be ready to to respond to you. And you may need to respond by just walking up here and you need to say, I need to start a conversation of working through some stuff that I have no idea how to do that. You may come forward and say, I don't even know how to tell you to pray for me, but I need prayer. And that's okay. That's one step forward towards Jesus. Because there's, there, there are no words that I can say that are going to make you just walk out of here and say, oh, well, everything's good now. But I do want you to hear that if you walk towards Jesus and you see him on the cross, that you will find that there is hope in the midst of your deepest pain. And I want you to hear that today. I want you to know that today, that there is hope and healing in Jesus Christ. And even if you just take one step forward today, you're walking towards finding that and through a journey. And we're committed as a church to walking through that with you. We're in this together, and we want to be in this with you to walk alongside of you and help you find that hope in Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, our prayer is for that to, to be the, the message of our life, that we would walk towards the cross and we would find healing in that. It's the truth of your word, and it's the truth for our lives that we would find hope in Jesus. God, we... We know that it's, it's something that we're scared of. We know that it's something that is difficult. We know that it is something that we are often so intimidated by. But would you give us courage today to take one step, to take one step forward, to start a conversation, and to find hope in Christ. We pray for his sake and through his name. Amen.